Okay, so we're continuing our Beatitudes series, so we're just going to jump straight into it. Um, if you've missed out on the previous two weeks, you can catch up online on our podcast, on our website, uh, on Spotify, wherever it is you access your uh, podcast, you can do that. Um, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5 and just read through the Beatitudes once again before we jump into week 3. Okay, so it says this, And he opened his mouth, that is Jesus, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. So week three, we are looking at this theme, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I don't know about you, but that word meek does not sit in my everyday vocabulary. If I'm honest, I'm not sure I've ever used that word, except in the context of reading the Bible to, uh, in a sentence or to describe someone. But maybe you use that word, but for me, it's not something I use. And so, I don't know, when you think of the word meek, maybe just right now, just picture what does a meek person look like? Just get the picture of a meek person in your mind. Maybe just try to describe that. But what words are you using when you're thinking of a meek person? What kind of words are you using? I don't know, maybe it's words like timid, shy, fragile, powerless. Maybe those are the kind of words that come to your mind when you think of this idea of meekness. Or maybe you're thinking words more like strong, confident, dynamic, powerful. Are they words that you're thinking of when you think of this, this picture of meekness? And the, the reality is that in biblical terms, the latter is more accurate, is more accurate to uh, what meekness looked like because meekness is not weakness. And that's what we're going to establish as we go through this study this morning. Meekness is not weakness. And how can we know that? Because Jesus described himself as meek. And I don't know about you, but I don't think that Jesus was weak. And so meekness is not weakness. Meekness, in fact, is at the very core of Jesus. It's his very essence of his being. It's who he is. Charles Spurgeon pointed out that in the four Gospels, there's only one place. There's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. If you read the four Gospels, there is so much information and detail around his birth and his life and his ministry. We're told of his travels. We're told of his prayer habits. Across all four of the Gospels, you hear the story of his death and his resurrection. But only in one place do we get this picture. Do we hear Jesus open himself up to us, his very heart. 
And it's found in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a book called Gentle and Lowly by the author Dane Ortland, and, and he writes that when the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer into the core of who he is, we're not told that he's austere and demanding in heart. We're not told that he's exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Jesus chooses to describe himself as gentle and lowly in heart. And the Greek word translated here as gentle, it's used three other times in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 21 verse 5, quoting Zechariah, that Jesus the King is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey. And in Peter's encouragement for wives to nurture above everything else, he says the, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And it's also found in this, our third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those three passages use this same Greek word to describe this idea of, of meekness. Humble, gentle, meek. That's who Jesus is. That's his, his heart. That's his motivation. He lived and he served and he, and he ministered from a place of meekness. So let's just get a context for, for this before we press in uh, a little bit further. So at the time that Jesus was preaching, this is the, the Sermon on the Mount. That's where the Beatitudes are, are taken from. So when Jesus is preaching this message to the Jews, they're, they're living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And actually for the Jews, they had this, this vision of what their coming Messiah would look like. And they were kind of keeping a watchful eye and, and looking out for the Messiah to arrive. And their picture was this strong warrior who would arrive on the scene and overthrow the empire of Rome and rescue them from the tyranny of that rule. And so it's amazing that what we see as Jesus, the Messiah, preaching this message, bringing these, these beatitudes to the Jews, is that he's actually preaching meekness as a way of life, which goes against everything that they pictured of their coming Messiah, because they had this, this vision of a mighty warrior who would, who would overthrow the rule and the reign of Rome. And so once again, we're seeing Jesus bring this upside down Countercultural message to the people. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, in the original language, this idea of, of meekness is used to describe reigning a stallion. Reigning a stallion, a wild stallion. Cue a Bill and Ted reference for anyone who has ever seen that. A wild stallion has so much power, but no purpose. It's got so much power, but no purpose. But you tame that stallion and then the power has purpose. It gets direction. And so that's this picture that we're seeing. That is meekness. It's power under control. 
its power intentionally laid down for the sake of another. To take one's power, one's strength, one's resources and then choosing to surrender. Choosing to submit that for the benefit and the sake of others. Meekness is not a lack of power. Meekness is not a lack of power. It's directional power. It's power with purpose. It's power that's got a a reason to be. And so the truth is that to live meekly as Jesus was teaching is actually a really beautiful way to be. It's not something that we should be embarrassed to be pursuing because meekness is not weakness. So let's just take a look, a quick look through scripture at at how Jesus lived out this this principle of meekness. And the Bible is is full of, of examples of this. In Philippians chapter 2, we hear that Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's meekness. In John chapter 13, we read that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he had all the power and the authority of heaven at his fingertips, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he laid aside his outer garments. And then taking up a towel, he tied it round his waist and he poured some water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew that he had all this power. And he could have wielded it wildly like this picture of a stallion. But instead he chose to submit it. He chose to surrender it to the will of his Father. To say, yeah, I've got all the power of of heaven. I've got all the authority of heaven that I can rule and reign this earth with. But instead, I'm going to come into a position and a posture of submission and surrender to my heavenly father. That's meekness. In Matthew chapter 20, even as the son of man came not to, ser- not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's meekness. And lastly, John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for his sheep. That's meekness. And I could go on and on with examples because Jesus' whole lifestyle, his very being was this example so perfectly set out for us of a life that was meek. Because he took his divine power, his strength, his resources. Essentially, he took his godliness and he laid it down. Because Jesus is God in human form. And I know that sometimes that can be a concept that's hard to, hard to wrestle with because it doesn't quite compute with our human finite brains. But Jesus is God in human form. And so he was the very person of God living on the earth. And yet he chose to lay it all down. He chose to submit all of that, to surrender all of that to his heavenly father and say, do you know what? Not my will, but your will be done. We hear that in the garden, don't we? Not my will, but your will. I will surrender it all to you. He laid it all down and he chose to live this life, this beautiful life of a servant leader. 
that actually, you know, we see um, a picture of the disciples and they're kind of bickering about who can sit next to Jesus when they get to heaven. And Jesus is saying, why are you arguing about that stuff? We've not come to, to live that kind of life, to chase after that kind of life. We've come to serve. And he demonstrated that through his lifestyle. We've come to serve. That's why we see that picture of him washing his disciples' feet. That act that actually would only be done by a servant in the house. You wouldn't find you, yourself being welcomed by the host and them doing that task. That it's, it's dishonorable almost. But Jesus chose to humble himself, to make himself this, this gentle and lowly in heart person. And to say, do you know what? I'm not above washing your feet. I'm not above getting down in the dirt and humbling myself to the position of a servant so that I can bless you, so that I can honour you. Even though I am filled with all of the power and all of the authority of heaven, even though I am God in human form, yet I will humble myself for you. Lay it all down to redeem us for for our sake and ultimately for our salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, yet for my sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Such a beautiful picture, isn't it? That actually he was Wealthy in spiritual terms, but he became poor for us. Why? So that we can be rich, so that we can be spiritually rich, so that we can have that restoration with our Heavenly Father, so that we can have relationship once again with God, so that he could redeem and restore his people, so that we can be saved. And I don't know about you, but I think that actually as we begin to look at scriptures through the lens of these beatitudes that we're studying, that actually we get a a new and a fresh perspective of, of the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that actually, in reality, there's many of you in this room right now that you might not describe yourselves as meek people. But I'm here to tell you that many of you are living meek lives. Whether you recognize it or not, many of you are living out this principle of meekness when you choose to to submit, to surrender your talents, your skills, your resources, your time, your finances. You're living meek lives when you lay down what you've got for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And so hopefully as we're going through this this kind of digging into the meaning of meekness that actually for someone to call you meek is no longer an insult, but actually it makes you feel, wow, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm actually living more like Jesus. That's what we should be recognizing. And so actually when you as individuals, when I as an individual choose to lay down what I've got, to lay down what God has blessed me with, to to choose to give up of your time to serve this church, to serve your community, to serve the kingdom of God, that actually what you're doing is living out this principle and this life and this posture of meekness. And I want to say to you, he sees you. He sees your heart. He honours you when you do that stuff. Every time you make that choice to lay it all down for the sake of his kingdom. 
to live meekly, it's a, it's a posture of surrender, of, of just following that example of Jesus by laying down what we've got for God's will, for God's purpose. Not pursuing our own plans, not pursuing our own dreams, but looking to Jesus. Like we've been singing about this morning, looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him and saying, do you know what? I might have great visions of what my life might look like. I might have great ideas about where I could go or, or who I could be. But actually, what I'm going to do is surrender and submit and say, God, not my will. Your will be done in my life. I lay it all down. Everything I've got, everything that I have, everything that I am, I lay it down for you, God. Your will be done. And I think as we, as we kind of work through this, the key word that's coming out is surrender. It's surrender and it's a, it's a key theme that runs throughout Scripture and it's a, it's a challenge that we're called to live. I don't know about you, but it's a challenge to, to surrender stuff, isn't it? To give things up, to, to lay it down. It's a challenge. It's not always easy. Let's look at this story in Matthew chapter 19. It says, A man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? There's that picture, isn't it, of, of trying to earn our way into heaven. What can I, what can I do? What, how can I serve people in order, in order to get to heaven? What, what's the checklist for me, to, for me to get there? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, eternal life, keep the commandments, he said. And so the, the rich young ruler says, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal or bear false witness. You should honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says to him, well, I've done all of this. What am I still lacking? What am I still missing? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had a great many possessions. You know, in the world's eyes, this man was wealthy. This man had it all. This man had power. He had authority. He had influence on those around him. And I, I think like many people, when you talk to him, they kind of say, well, you know, I've lived a good life. I've kind of obeyed all of the commandments, at least for the most part. I, I, I'm doing it all right. But Jesus says, well, that's not enough. We've not been called to live a good life. That's not what Jesus wants of us, as, as nice as that may be. We've been called to live a surrendered life. We've been called to live a surrendered life, to, to lay everything down, not just the bits that we're comfortable with. You can almost picture this guy, can't you, that he's, he's saying, well, yeah, I've done all of that stuff. I'm, I'm almost there. I've almost made it into heaven. And then Jesus says that. Go and sell everything you've got. Go and sell it all and just give it away. And that weight, that, 
that feeling of, but, but I've, I've worked so hard for all of this. You know, I've earned all of this. It's mine. I've inherited this. This, this belongs to me. But Jesus says, no, it doesn't. Nothing that you have, nothing that we have belongs to us. We have it because of God. And so he says, what you need to do is lay it down. Because if you're holding on tightly to something, it's becoming your God. And so lay it down. Lay it down, surrender it, submit it to me. And that was the sticking point for this rich young ruler. And I wonder this morning, what is our sticking point? What is it that the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, this is the thing in your life. This is the thing in my life that that actually we need to lay it down. We've been holding on too tightly to whatever it is. And God said to us, you need to give that up for my sake. You need to lay that down for my sake. And we're there going, oh God, this makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I can give all of that away. I'm not sure I can stop doing that in order to serve you. You know, we, when we talked about vision at the start of the year and we looked at that theme from Acts 2.42 about the, the way that the, uh, the early church were living, it says in that portion of scripture that they sold everything that they had, they pulled all of their resources so that no one went without. You ask us in the 21st century with all of our wealth, And whether you're rich or poor in in this community, we are wealthy people in the world. And we ask us to sell it all, to pool our resources and let's see how things pan out. That's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge. You know, I've heard some incredible testimonies of people who have been called to give away their house. Can you imagine that? If you own your house and God says, I want you to give your house to someone else. I want you to give your car. Not buy them a car, give them your car. I want you to clear out all of your savings and give it to that person because they're without. I don't know about you, but I'd be spending some time with God and just... I'm not sure I'm hearing from you right, God. I think maybe... When we're called to surrender, when we're called to lay down something that we're holding on far too tightly, is that our sticking point? Is that the thing that's going to get us walking away from Jesus filled with sorrow? Or are we going to step up? Are we going to live this life of meekness that Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes and saying, everything that I've got, whatever it is, All of my life belongs to you, God. And so I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to lay it all down and give it to you. Your will be done. Your will be done. And so how do we get there? How do we develop this life of meekness? Because as we've said, it's a challenge. It's, It's not something that's going to come easy to a lot of us. And so if this is God's plan for how we as followers of Christ should be living out our lives, if we're to mirror the life of Jesus through this attitude and this posture of meekness, how is it that we do that? How do we live that out? 
Well, I just want to look at James chapter 1, just a couple of verses, and I believe it gives us some insight into uh, how we put this into practice. He says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He goes on, be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. And I think there are three principles in this verse that can just help us move a little bit closer. I'm not going to say that as we leave this place, we are going to be living and walking in perfect meekness. But I would hope that we would be a little bit closer to it. That we would be a little bit closer towards that, that attitude of meekness. And so firstly, I believe it's telling us we need to have a repentant heart. We need to have a repentant heart. It says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness from your lives. You know, we've got this perfect example in the person of Jesus of how we should be living out our lives. And Jesus was able to live a life of meekness from the very beginning. Why? Because he was sinless. Because he was the only man who ever lived who was perfect in every way, who had no sin in him. But for you and me, if we're going to live out this life of meekness, if we're going to assume a posture of meekness, we're going to have to do some business with God. We're going to have to sit down with God and be honest and be humble and say, do you know what, God? I've made some mistakes. I've messed up again. That thing that I keep falling into, I've done it again. I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And the amazing thing is that in our world, if, if we were to treat our friend in a way that, that hurts them, if we were to do something that, that hurts our friend or our family member, we might go to them and say, look, I'm sorry for, for doing this. And they'll forgive us. But then imagine we do it again the next week. And then we go to them and say, oh, I'm sorry, I've messed up again. I've, I've done this thing, I've hurt you. I'm, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And maybe they'll forgive us again. And then a week later you go and you, and you do it again and you're like, ah, oh, I'm... And you get the pattern. Because actually I think for many of us, you know, whether it's a habitual sin or, or whatever it may be, whether it's just, you know, whatever sin that comes into your lives, that it happens so frequently for all of us that actually we could almost picture that, that every time we go to God and say, I'm sorry, I've messed up. That in our humanity, we can think, how could he possibly forgive me again? How could he possibly accept my apology yet again? But the Bible says, <coughs> the Bible teaches that every time we go to Jesus, every time we turn towards him, every time we take a step towards Jesus in humility and saying, God, I'm sorry, that in that very moment, he races towards us. He embraces us with his loving arms. He pours out his grace and his mercy and his love on us. It says that he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. 
And so in that moment, when we say, God, I am sorry, he makes us holy. He makes us righteous because of the blood of Jesus that washes over us that we've already thought of this morning as we've shared communion together. We need to have a repentant heart. And secondly, we need to have a, rep- a receptive spirit. Do you know, this of all of the Beatitudes is the only one that is a fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, that is meekness, and self-control. And Paul writes that we receive the fruit of the Spirit when we belong to Christ, when we deny ourselves, when we surrender our lives to God, to his plan, to his will, to his purposes. We receive the gifts of the Spirit. And so our passage in James, if we jump back, it says, may we receive with meekness. And that's the contrast to the evil, to the filth in our lives. May we receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We need to receive from God because God's, God's grace is a gift to us, isn't it? You know, the rich young ruler was trying to figure out a way to earn his way into heaven. But we don't earn our way into heaven. It's a gift. We just need to accept it. We need to come with a repentant heart and say, God, I'm sorry. And then we need a receptive spirit to say, I receive your gift of salvation, your gift of forgiveness, your gift of grace. I'll quote Charles Spurgeon again. He said, we're not saved by working, but by receiving. Not by what we give to God, but by what God gives to us. And what we're receiving, James says, is the implanted word of God. And the word of God carries power. The word of God carries power. We we read right in the beginning of scripture that God spoke and there was. His word is powerful. And so we need a repentant heart. We need a receptive spirit. And thirdly, we need a responsive life. A responsive life because James goes on saying, be doers of the word. And whilst we receive God's God's grace, we don't work from it, but we work out of it. We don't work for it, but we work out of it. And when we're living this life of meekness, that's what it looks like. Because we have got power through the implanted word of God within us, through the Holy Spirit living within us. The Bible says that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives within me, lives within you. As a follower of Christ, you are filled like Jesus with all of the power and all of the authority of heaven. That is within each and every one of us who calls Jesus our saviour. And so we need to choose what to do with that power. Are we going to be like a wild stallion that is filled with power and charging around aimlessly with no direction, with no purpose? 
Or are we going to come under the authority of God? Are we going to surrender? Are we going to submit and say, yes, I have got the power of God within me. I can do great things according to God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But are we going to use that power under the submission and under the authority and under the rule and reign of our Heavenly Father? Because that is a life of meekness. And when we live like that, it, it, it means that we can live with nothing to lose. It means that we can live with nothing to prove because it's not us that's in control. It's not our will that we're carrying out. God's got the driver's seat. He's got the steering wheel. He's taking us where we need to go because we're saying, here I am, Lord. Take me. Have me. Use me. I lay it all down for you. And so we can have the confidence and we can have the assurance that comes from knowing that our lives are in God's hand when we walk in meekness, when we allow the power of God within us to come under the authority of God. So we're not fragile. Let's not see ourselves as fragile. We are not timid. Let's not allow the world to say that we are timid. And we are not weak. We are not weak. The Bible says that we are filled with His Spirit. That we have that power. Meekness is not weakness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Living Bible says, The meek and lowly are fortunate. They're fortunate, for the whole wide world belongs to them. And so this beatitude, like all of the other beatitudes, there's a condition. This morning we're talking about those who are meek. And there's a result or a reward even. They will inherit the earth. They'll inherit the earth. Who are the kinds of people that God wants to put in charge of his world? What are the kinds of people that God wants to put in charge? And let's remember that in the time that he's preaching this, the Romans are ruling with all of their oppression. The earth, at least for the Jews at that time, was ruled by Rome, by this domineering authoritarian government, but God's earth, his plan, his perfect plan, his ideal scenario. If we look way back to the Garden of Eden, is that his earth and his world would be ruled by those who are meek, those who lead like Jesus, those who serve like Jesus, those who humble themselves who don't rule with uncontrolled power, but rule with power that submits to the will and the purpose of God. Blessed are those who meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Why don't we pray? And so God, we just thank you for this, this scripture, this verse this encouragement, this challenge for how we should live our lives. God, I pray for 
those of us who don't see ourselves as meek, that actually you would, you would just show us the areas that we are already living out this principle. That you would allow us to recognize the, the meekness that is within us where we are already laying down what we have for your goodness, for your kingdom, for your purpose. But none of us have made it. None of us are perfect in this. Only you, Jesus, lived it out perfectly. And so I pray that as we leave this place, as we step out this morning, that we will be a little bit closer to living out this life, this posture, this attitude of meekness. And so God, I pray this morning right now that that maybe where there's a sticking point in our lives, where there's something in us that we are clinging on to, where there's something in us that we, we just aren't willing to let go, I think for some of us in the room, it's even something we're very much aware of. And we've maybe had conversations with you in the past where we've said, God, I'm willing to give you this and this and this, but I'm just going to keep hold of that. And so right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do a work within our lives that would release that thing. That it would no longer be a sticking point for us that it would no longer be a chain that holds us back from walking and living in the fullness of you. And that God, where we're even oblivious to what it is, that we're just living out our lives and you see it. You see what it is that we're holding on to too tightly. Holy Spirit, would you break us free from that? Holy Spirit, would you come right now and release us from that? That we wouldn't walk away from this moment with heavy hearts, but that we would walk towards you, surrendered, submitted, laying it all down at your feet, saying, God, your will be done. Your will be done in my life in this church, in this community. Your will be done. May we lay it all down for you.